Have you ever tried to convince somebody that you're really telling the truth? How do you do that? Sometimes we say, well, I really, really, really mean it. Or you say, well, honestly, or to be honest, or seriously. That's the sort of thing we say. Sometimes you'll find that people, you may not do it anymore, maybe you did it, but you might say, they'll say, well, I swear to God. Or... Uh, I swear on a stack of Bibles, as you know, people have said that. And I was watching that show, Highway Patrol, wonderful show where you see uh, it's people getting pulled over by highway cops and then trying to squirm their way out of why they were not doing something. And this guy, I think he either was talking on his phone, that's a common one, or he was speeding, and he said, I swear on my grandmother's grave, you know. Uh, and I'm thinking, I wonder if his grandmother's, he might, she might still be alive for all, you know. You know. Yeah, people use these things. Here's one, I don't know, when you were a kid, I use this one I know a little bit when I was a kid cross my heart hope to die and here's the part I had stick a needle in my eye now you know the funny part is it always made me cringe about the idea of sticking a needle in my eye but never the part of dying I mean that's, that's the kind of strange thing people say strange things they make these promises they take these oaths we take something sacred or revered you know my grandmother's grave a stack of bibles I swear to god why do we do that We try to do that because we're trying to strengthen our case. We want to make something more truthful or seem more truthful. People do that often. It's been right throughout history. And the reason why is because, well, let's face it, man's basically dishonest. We invent those oaths. We actually call even a curse upon ourselves before God because we have learnt that man can't be trusted to keep his word. And everybody knows that. There was an article in this year in, uh, on National Geographic, June 2017. The, the cover feature of that was why we lie. Here's, what, here's part of what they said in their article. Lying, it turns out, is something that we, most of us are very adept at. We lie with ease in ways big and small to strangers co-workers, friends and loved ones. Our capacity for dishonesty is as fundamental as our need to trust each other, which ironically makes us terrible at detecting lies. Being deceitful is woven into our very fabric, so much so that it would be truthful to say that to lie is human. It's pretty severe, but we know because of our sin nature, because of the sin condition of this world, that is the case. The Bible says the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? And since lying is part of the fabric of our society, I mean today, and people make statements about their product and often they lie with that. Politicians, well, we don't need to go there. Uh, Salesmen, even people in families in that lie. Because that is so much a part of our society, so too are oaths when people try to convince someone else they're telling the truth because generally people don't trust each other. Now, some oaths are necessary and some oaths are actually valuable to our society. You know, wedding vows, in a sense, are a kind of oath. They're a covenant before God. If you are ever involved in a legal proceeding, you will be asked to swear on, usually it's been the Bible, and you are sworn to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me God. Doctors have this thing called the Hippocratic Oath. When they graduate, they agree to uphold the principles of medicine, preserving life, caring for patients. If you're in the police or the armed forces, you you essentially take an oath. The Victorian police force to uphold the right is the motto. That is to maintain law and order, to do what's right, just. People who come to this country and they want to become a citizen, they take an oath as well. So not all of those are bad and not all of those are wrong. And God is not against 
any form of oath at all. But in this passage, we have some counsel about taking an oath but using it in the wrong way. Just as we looked at in James 4 about people saying planning and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. There's nothing wrong with planning, but people were doing that apart from God or they were doing it falsely. And James takes this one verse out of the whole book to address this issue. So I want us to just look at three things relating to this. Firstly, the context of it, how it fits in with the book of James and for us as Christians. Secondly, I want us to look at the command, the command to, to swear not. When we say swear not, we're not talking about speaking profanity. That's a given. We've already looked at James chapter 3 about the tongue and what we speak. And the fact is that profane words shouldn't be part of our language. But this is talking about taking an oath and a certain type of oath. And lastly, of course, as James always does, he gives us some correction, what we should do instead of uh, what we shouldn't do. So let's take a few moments just this morning to look at these three things. First of the context, the first part of this verse says, but above all things, my brethren, whenever you read in, particularly in the Bible, it begins with but something. It's putting it in contrast or, or tying it to something else. Now, often it's actually tying it to the previous passage. Now, last week we looked at this example of patience and suffering and how we're to be patient and not grudge against one another. And some who study this say, well, really, this whole thing of swearing oaths is tied in with that. But it isn't really clear that it does, because they are two, as I see, two separate topics. But my brethren, and so we know that this is talking to who? Believers. Jewish Christians scattered out of Jerusalem because of persecution. He's writing to believers and he addresses them as brethren or brothers and brothers and sisters in Christ. That's because of the relationship that we have in Jesus Christ. God is our heavenly father because of Jesus Christ and that makes us spiritually, at least, brothers and sisters in Christ. He doesn't condescend them, but he said, my brethren. He's identifying himself with them. Essentially what he's saying is, I have the same struggle as you have. We're all in the same boat here. We have a common spiritual life. James has already talked about speech and James has never said, hey, look, I'm perfect. I've got this down pat. You all need to do this. You all need to change in this area. He identifies himself as someone alongside us as believers, as one who needs the same counsel from God as well. But above all things. Now, above all things means that it's, it's fairly important, doesn't it? He's heightening the importance of it. Some say by saying above all things, he's saying this is the most important verse or most important piece of counsel in the entire book. While this is important, I don't believe it is elevated above every other piece of counsel that's in this book. Some say it's again related to the previous passage. When he's saying above all things here, because this is only one verse, he's trying to emphasise the importance of it. Think about this. And as James is coming to the end of his letter, he adds this in because this is something that had become an issue in the church because of their historic Jewish culture. You see, the Jewish culture had a, a lot of, there were a lot of oaths that they would enter into, both with each other when they made agreements and then also with God. And sometimes God actually encouraged oaths to be made. In fact, God himself made oaths. When we talk about an oath, it's an agreement, it's a promise. What was happening here was that they were taking their culture and they were bringing that culture into the church, into Christianity. And James is saying, don't do that. You have to give up on the system, the way that you are doing things. So the, the context is 
James is talking to believers. He's saying this is an important thing for us as believers. As a believer, I have the same struggle as you have. The command, swear not. Well, the issues of oaths and swearing was a major part of the ancient life. When people made agreements over a piece of land or property or they made agreements over uh, different things, they would often make a promise and swear an oath. And sometimes they could be fairly graphic. In one case, and we find that this even happens with God and Abraham, is that they would take animals that they would sacrifice and they would cut them in half and they would actually put them there and they would walk, as they made this covenant or agreement, they would walk through those, essentially saying that if I don't fulfill this, may this happen to me. So that was pretty serious stuff. God, uh, I want you to understand, is not forbidding all oaths. Um, when God destroyed the world with a flood in the time of Noah. After that, God made an oath. And how did he signify that oath? That he would never destroy the earth by water again. Rainbow. So the rainbow was, was his sign of promise. In Isaiah chapter 49, God promises to bless and to keep Israel. Israel as a nation exists today, not because of its wonderful military forces, not because of its technology, it has all of that, but it exists today because God has his hand upon the nation of Israel. And he has said that he will preserve it. In Hebrews 6.13, God actually says that he swore an oath against himself because there was no one greater when he promised to Abraham. We'll come to that one a little later on. Jesus, when he was confronted by the high priest and he said, I charge you, you know, and I tell us if you are the Christ, the living God, and he answered to that. So he responded to that oath. So obviously not every oath is, is bad. Paul, we read from times actually, again, in Acts 18, took a vow, an oath. But to understand James's words here, to understand why he is addressing this issue, we must understand how the Jews of that day were using these oaths, these promises. See, oaths ought to foster truthful communication. But in the day of James, oaths had become a facade for lying. Remember as a kid, you used to say, oh, I'll do something, and you had, I was crossing my fingers behind my back, so I didn't really mean it. Well, this had been the sort of thing that came here. The Jews had this idea that if you swore using God's name in an oath, you had to keep your word. But if you swore to something lesser, like Jerusalem or the temple or something like that, well, you're not actually swearing to God, so, yeah, you know, it's kind of like crossing your fingers. And Jesus confronts this in the Gospel of Matthew. And really what James is just repeating what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount and then later. So let's go back to, if you keep a bookmark in James, and let's go back to the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew. So we find Jesus teaching. He's teaching people about their relationship to God. Matthew 5.33 says, Again, ye have heard it had been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. If you made a promise, you made an oath in the Old Testament, you were expected to keep it. Ecclesiastes says it's better not to make a vow or an oath at all than to make one and not keep it. It's a serious thing. But here's what I say to you. Swear not at all, neither by heaven, nor by God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shall thou swear by thy head, thou canst not make one of them hair white or black, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than this cometh this 
is evil. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't go into all these oaths. And I said, it's not that every oath is bad, and there's times some people have taken this and said, well, you know, if I'm in court and I'm asked to, to say that oath, I can't do that because the Bible says that. Well, that oath is not going against serving God. Obviously, you don't take an oath to lie or to do anything evil. But he's addressing this idea of where they would, it would become so commonplace in their conversation. And sometimes it is today. People say, oh, honestly, honestly, or, you know, that people will say, oh, I swear to God, I swear to God, you know, this sort of thing. And it becomes so common that people say, in fact, you find that the more that people say that, the more that you tend to think, like, when they're saying honestly, you go, well, is there times you're not honest? You know, and, and often when we're trying to emphasise that so much, people say, well, the reason you're trying to emphasise it so much is that I really do mean it this time, but there's been other times when I don't. And so what Jesus is saying, look, just let your communication be yes, yes, no, no. Keep it simple. Don't complicate it with all of these O's. Later in Matthew, chapter 23, he gives some more counsel, and this is actually to the Pharisees because they were using this as a bargaining chip with people. The, the Pharisees, the religious people at that time, were very focused on rules and, and keeping people under rules, and they were also very focused on money and wealth and power because they would actually say to people, well, you, if you make an oath with your inheritance to the temples and things like that, well, then you don't actually have to use that money to look after your parents when they're old, things like that. And here's what Jesus said to them. He was quite scathing about the way that they approached it in Matthew 23, verses 16 through to 22. He says, Woe unto you, blind guides, which say, Whoever swear by the temple, it's nothing. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, he's a debtor. So they're saying, you know, if you swear by the temple, well, that doesn't mean anything. But you swear by the gold of the temple... Well, that really means something. He's saying, you fools and blind, which is greater, the, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swear by the altar, this is what they used to say, it's nothing, but you swear by the gift that is on the altar, he's guilty. You fools and blind, whether is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? He's saying, look, the gold is nothing. The fact is you're in the presence of God. You're in the temple. You're on the altar. It's like, shouldn't that mean... Who cares if it's gold, if it's tinfoil, if it's cardboard? The very fact that you're in the presence of God should be carry more weight than that. But this was their little bargaining thing as to how you could um, get out of things. You know, it was, I'm, I'm crossing my fingers sort of thing. And whosoever shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it and all things that are on it. If you're going to make an oath, that oath counts. I don't care if it's the, the gold on the temple, the temple. You're doing it in the presence of God. It counts. You need to stay by it. And whoso sweareth by the temple sweareth by him that dwelleth in. And who dwells in the temple? And he that sweareth by heaven sweareth by the throne of God and sitteth thereon. This is serious stuff and don't meddle with it. Oaths don't change a person's heart. If a person is determined to get out of something or they're trying to cover something, it doesn't matter whatever oath or promise that they make. Often when they swear more virulently to tell the truth, it's revealing probably their lack of credibility. And James is saying, stop it. Don't do it. When he says swear not, it, that in the Greek is saying stop swearing, stop make, taking these oaths. So he's assuming they are doing this at this time. He says just don't do it anymore. It's unnecessary. Your speech should be always so honest. You should have integrity and, and credibility that all the people should ever want is yes or no, just tell me. They should never have to ask for more because they know that your word is your bond. You say you're going to do something, you do it. 
And that's the way it ought to be for us as Christians, that when we speak a word that people know what we say is true and that we stand behind it. Now, we know we all have times where we don't tell the truth or we bend the truth or we hold certain information. God is saying, you know, you need to think about that. And as with everything we find in James, it comes back to our heart. Where is our heart that would cause us to, to want to, to think that we need to do that? Finally, the correction, James says, stop doing that, but let your yea be yea, your nay be nay. Let your yes be yes, your no be no. He assures us that there's a better way. When you say yes, make sure the answer is truthfully yes. And when you say no, make sure the answer is truthfully no. Always tell the truth. If you always tell the truth, you'll never need to swear an oath to support your words. Now, why do we lie? Because there's so many different ways we lie. And I was reading this article in National Geographic, and it lists a few areas, and I think they're very valid because we see them in our own lives, we see them in Scripture. In our minds, we think, well, not all lying is evil, not everything that we do. We don't have an evil intent for every lying, but here's a few key reasons, like motives. Sometimes we lie to protect ourselves, to, to cover up a sin or a mistake, so we'll tell a lie thinking, well, that will get us out of that. And sometimes we actually do it to avoid or escape other people. Tell him I'm not home. Tell him I'm not in. That sort of thing. (coughs) Because we don't want to have a confrontation or we just don't want to see that person at that time. We sometimes do it to protect ourselves. Another reason or motive is that we do it to promote ourselves. Sometimes we feel that by lying it will give us an economic or a personal advantage. You know, you lie on your tax return, you lie on your your accounts and things like that, or you lie in other situations because it, in the short term, might be beneficial to us. Sometimes we do it to present ourselves in a better light. We want to make ourselves look better and we don't want to make ourselves look bad in the light of other people. Sometimes we do it just to make people laugh. It's just funny sometimes when people you tell, tell something with that. So we do it to protect, we do it to promote. Another one here, the other third motive is that we do it to impact others. Sometimes we would have perhaps some more noble motives. We lie uh, with a desire to, to help others or to protect others. Some lie to, because we're malicious and we want to hurt other people. And sometimes we'll lie just to be social or polite. We think it's rude not to do a certain thing and so we'll just go along with it or we'll lie and things like that. So there's some of the different reasons. Of course, there is another area that they said, which is what they call pathological lying, which is just habitual. In fact, they ignore or disregard reality and there's an aspect of that happens. And sometimes those first ones will descend into the other ones. There's a whole bunch of reasons why why we as, as people lie, and it comes back to obviously heart issues. As in this article it said, people lie and also tell the truth to achieve a goal. We lie if we think honesty won't work, says the researcher. And that's probably true. We think that the only way out is to lie. What does God say about lying? Well, it's quite clear that God says in, that it's wrong. It, he condemns it, he says it's a sin. The very first lie is recorded in Genesis chapter 3 by the devil. He says, you shall not surely die. He deceives Eve as well. Satan, therefore, is called the father or the originator of lies. Jesus actually said that in John chapter 8. God, uh, on the other hand, cannot and does not lie. Titus 1-2 says that in hope of eternal life, God that cannot lie promised before the world began. It's not part of God's nature to lie. If he could lie, he would not be God. In, in Hebrews 6.18, it tells us, too, that it's impossible for him to lie. Jesus actually called himself the way, the truth, and the life. It's in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbour, is the ninth command. 
In Proverbs 6, it lists seven things that the Lord hates. Two of those involve lying. So we're quite clear that it's something that God does not want us to do. Colossians 3.9, lie not to one another, seeing that you've put off old man with his deeds. And Ephesians reminds us where to speak the truth in love. So there's plenty of counsel in the Bible against lying, and there's plenty of counsel for the truth. The question comes up and has often come up, is there ever any situation or circumstance where it's right to lie? You know, there are some cases in the Bible where people lied and it was actually beneficial. Well, the Bible doesn't ever present an instance where lying is the right thing to do, but it does actually show some cases where people lied and that there was a, an outcome from that. Two ones that, we, that are particularly highlighted, one is in ancient Egypt, Pharaoh was killing the Hebrew children and all of the Hebrew males, he said, because the population was growing too quick, it was like a forced abortion or whatever. He was saying to the midwives, uh, you need to kill them as soon as they're born. Don't let these males live. And then the, the midwives allowed the children to live. And the Pharaoh called the midwives before him and said, you know, why is this happening? Why are they allowed to live? And they, they said, well, the Hebrew women, they're so vigorous. And by the time we get, to try, get there, we arrive, they've already had their baby. And it's too late to do anything about it. Now, we don't know if that is a lie or not, but there's obviously they're, they're withholding some information, so we could say that there's a likelihood of that. And it says after that that God blessed the, the midwives for that. So you go, well, hang on. God is blessing someone that's lying. A second one is about the lady Rahab. And when the, many years later, when Israel was coming to take into, into Canaan in the Promised Land, and the first city that they were going to take was Jericho. They sent some spies into Jericho to spy out the land and Rahab, who was a prostitute, she hid them and so when people came looking for them she lied about the fact that, that, that she didn't know where they were and they escaped and she was spared from the, her and her family from the destruction of Jericho. So we can say well look, there's two cases where lying has produced an acceptable result and God seems to have, um, you know allowed or like, there seems to be a blessing as a result of it. So what do we do with those? Well, I think what we firstly understand is God never actually rewards lying. And there's two instances, if you read them and study them, God's rewarding faith. Rahab talked about the fact that she trusted God and he rewarded faith. He didn't reward, God doesn't reward lying, which he clearly says is a sin. In the case of the Egyptian midwives, the fact that they were protecting or trying to protect the nation of Israel, God obviously rewarded that and there was an aspect of faith in that. So it's not that God is directly rewarding the lying in that case. The real issue here is one of faith. We lie if we think that honesty will not work. And while lying can produce a desired result, we must believe that God actually does have a better option. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it tells us that no temptation has taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted above which you are able, but with the temptation will make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, I don't know the situations, and there's obviously situations we think about um, in the case of Corrie ten Boom, and when she, they hid Jews there, 
and the Nazis came to, to do that and she hid the Jews. And so there's situations you go, but look, you don't know the situation and the things that are going through. I understand that, but what I do know is that God can provide an alternative. Uh, yes, that did have an effect. Uh, there's always consequences that come with lying. And the other thing, as we know, is that God does provide an alternative. And we have to prayerfully and carefully consider the alternative, not just resort to lying um, with that as well. I believe that God wants us to tell the truth. I think his counsel is to tell the truth. And we need to consider that God will make a way for us to, to be truthful in what we do. James also here includes the motivation to to change as well. He says, Let you, lest you fall into condemnation. Now that word condemnation we've already come to uh, before uh, in the previous passage, lest you be condemned, it's talking about judgment. If you are a believer, then you are not judged on eternal life for lying. If you're not a believer, it's just one of those sins that adds to your judgment. For, for believers... While it, what, lying won't send you to hell, certainly it doesn't please God. And certainly there is consequences with that. We think about those that lie or those that took um, rash vows as well. And there's some in the Bible. There was a guy in the Old Testament named Jephthah, and he made a vow to God which affected his family situations because he, he realised he'd made a, a foolish vow. Remember Peter, when he was asked, do you know... Surely you were with Jesus Christ, you were one of them. He said he called down curses and oaths upon himself, saying, I swear I don't know the man. God restored him, but there was consequences that came with that. So we understand that the condemnation can be sometimes in the here and now. When we tell a lie, often we need to find ourselves needing to tell another lie to cover that one up, and another lie to cover that one up. And it gets really messy and complicated. And that's one of the struggles that we have. And it is also possible because as Christians, we're told that we're going to stand before the judgment seat. I mentioned last week the awards ceremony is not, not a judgment seat of, of hell. And there will be the possibility that we could find ourselves at a time for at least in shame before the Lord for, for what we've done with our lives and how we've lived that. So the answer for us is just be a trustworthy person. Ephesians 4.25 says, Put away lying and speak every man truth with his neighbour, for we are members one with another. We have a relationship one to another and it's important that we be honest. A few ideas and things to think about here. Communicate truthfully in all areas, big areas and little areas. When we make a promise, and sometimes we do need to make a promise, consider prayerfully and thoughtfully the promise that you're going to make. Involve God in the process. Now, if you make a promise, keep your promise. Now, if you made a promise that goes against the word of God, well, obviously you can't keep that promise. But Proverbs 15.4 reminds us of a godly person that says that he swears to his own hurt and changes not. Sometimes when we make a promise, it's actually going to cost us some money, some time. Now, there are times when you know, you've made a promise that's going to cause some physical harm to you or something like that. And you need to, uh, in that case, go to the person you made the promise to and say, look, I, made, I, I know I promised this, but here's the situation. And, and when we do fail, both to people and to God, confess humbly that you failed. Just say, look, I'm, I'm sorry, I made this promise, but it was a foolish promise to make. And here's the reasons why. Don't try and cover it up with lies as well. 
and, and then surrender joyfully to God to a life of integrity. God wants us just to live a life of truthfulness and integrity. You know, trustworthiness is a great thing. Don't you just love that you can come and sit on a chair and trust it's going to hold you up? Don't you just love when you can go and turn the uh, key in your car and it actually starts? These are good things. These are things that um, we are thankful for because we can trust them. They'll hold us up. We can have a certain amount. We can lean on them to a certain amount of extent. But when you're trustworthy, you know, you're a blessing to people around you. They can trust you because they know who they're dealing with. They don't have to worry about if you've misled them in some way. You're actually making life wonderful for the people around you because you're a person of integrity. You're, you're honest. It's a profound exhibition of love. You know, when we are truthful and we trust, we're saying we love one another. We're, we're demonstrating that. In fact, in Proverbs 24, 26, it says that every man that kisses the lips shall give a right answer. It's saying, in other words, if you give a truthful answer, it's like a kiss on the lips. It's a sign of love. And in the, in, correspondingly, in Proverbs 26, 28, it says that a lying tongue hurts. And that's true. It does hurt. Lying hurts people because... Let's think about what you do when you're lying. You're actually giving them something, you're telling them something that's not real. You are trying to separate them from reality. You're stealing reality from them. An example I heard, let's say even as a practical joke, you said to someone, hey, you've lost your job, you've been fired. You told them that. And maybe for two weeks you convinced them that they'd lost their job. Well, here they are. They're all upset and worried about the fact they lost their job. They go around looking for a new job for two weeks and then you say, oh, no, I was just kidding. You've just wasted two weeks of their life, plus given a whole lot of hurt and anguish to them as well. Then you might say, well, I wouldn't do that. But that's an example of the fact that lying does hurt other people, even if it's in jest. We need to be people that are just faithful and have integrity. The greatest reason that we should have integrity and be faithful is this. God is faithful. We want to be like our Heavenly Father. I mean, it's the best way to be. Any other way isn't, isn't actually really the best way. God makes a big thing about the fact that he's faithful. Over a hundred times in scripture, God talks about he is called, his name is faithful. Faithful and true. It's one of the most wonderful things about God. We can trust him. There's never, ever a question about God that he will do what he said. There's never a question that God isn't who he actually portrays himself to be. God's true. He's faithful. God will never tell you that he's pleased with something or he's pleased with you when actually he isn't. He'll never tell you that something's okay when it's not okay. But also he'll never make a big deal about something when it really isn't a big deal. God's yes is always yes. And his no is always no. Aren't you glad that when God says yes, yes, I will forgive your sins. All that come to me I will in no wise cast out, Jesus says. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Aren't you so glad that we can actually trust God when he says that. If God says, well, I, I said that, but fingers crossed, you know, didn't mean it, all that sort of stuff. No, we're thankful that we have a God that we can completely trust. Hebrews uh, chapter 6, I just want to close with this this morning. I know this, this message, and as we go through this, touches each of a part of our hearts because we all struggle to some degree in this area. But the encouragement is that we have a God that we can trust, and because of that, he is our anchor. Let's read Hebrews chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. For men verily or truly swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation 
is to the end of them of all strife. Wherein God, willing to more abundantly show the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel. God willing to show that he doesn't change. We have out in our sign that Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today and forever. He confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things, unchangeable things, that it was impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation. The very fact that God doesn't lie means that we have strong encouragement. Who have fled to refuge to lay upon the hope set before us. When we flee to God for refuge, when we trust in Jesus Christ, we're told nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. That's a promise. It's a promise we can completely trust in. And it says here in verse 19, which hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, an anchor for the soul. You know, there's so much today in the world that we can't trust and there's so many things and we don't know who to believe and who to trust. Jesus Christ says, God says, you can trust me. I am your anchor an anchor for the soul, sure and steadfast. In, as we'll sing in a moment, in the storms of life, in the struggles of life, we have an anchor, a sure anchor in God, in Jesus Christ. And so knowing that, the counsel to us is, will we be people that follow God and be trustworthy in all that we say and do? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this one verse, Lord, that reminds us in James about the need for honesty, integrity. Lord, we know that's so counter to the world around us. We know there's so many circumstances that come up that we often think that the only way out of it is lying or to, to make promises we know we can't keep. I, I pray, Lord, Lord, firstly, for, for your grace and forgiveness for the times that we do that. Lord, I pray also that we might grow in our trust of you to see that you have a better way, a more perfect way. And Lord, that no matter what situation we're in, but Lord, that we would come to you knowing that you, you will help us, you will guide us. Your Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. And Lord, may our conversation, may what we say and do just be simply yes, no. May we be people of our word. May people see that. And Lord, as we do that, Lord, help us to know that we don't need to then be looking over our shoulder, wondering, you know, trying to cover up things that we've done. Lord, we thank you that we have a that you are faithful and we can completely trust you. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here that has not understood that that truth, the fact that we can trust you, that Lord, they've never placed their personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I pray they realise that in this world where there is no hope, there is a hope, and that is in your Son. When he died upon the cross, he said it is finished, and he meant it. The price had been paid for our sin. Lord, I pray that, again, if there's any here that, that have not leaned upon, trusted upon, accepted that fact, and just said, God, it's not me, it's you, I pray that today that they would take that to heart, that they would know that you'll never let them down. You'll never leave them, forsake them, that you can, that they can completely trust you both in this life and in eternity as well. For us that know you, Lord, may we be people that exhibit your faithfulness to each other and to the world around us. We pray that you get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.